welcome to another episode of the Pedestrian Podcast. It's been quite a good day in my neck of the woods for several reasons. Uh, but this week, we're going to d- dive in on all as free agency inches ever closer. And myself, Stuart Court, is as ever joined by Mr. Ad- Adam Nathan. How are we, sir? I'm good. It's been, uh, yeah, not a bad day. Shit weather after, so looking at one of our guests' background of blue skies and, and clouds is uh, not the greatest way. He's got a smoke on, he's got a whiskey on. It's, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's mugging us off. He's not even said a word on the podcast yet, but uh, hey, that's how it's going to go. So uh, we'll, we'll see how we'll see how it goes. But I'm, I'm, I'm as good as it can be in the pitch black pissing weather of uh, central London. It's been a while, but one of our regular guests over the last 140 odd, Ped Pods is rejoining the show. Uh, Mr. Rob Staten, how are we? Oh, hi, fellas. Yeah, and the weather in, uh, in in Yorkshire is very similar to the weather that Adam is talking about. There, it's not not very pleasant. And I, t- I it's, it's not just jealous of the weather. You know, I'm, I'm I like a cigar every now and again, and, and certainly enjoy a, a beverage. So um, I'm disappointed not to be uh, <laughs> in the company of Mr. Bevans right now. Yeah, and making these uh, Ped Pods. Uh, debut from field goals uh, on a Monday morning after a Seahawks game it's for me it's Michael Sean Dugar on the Athletic and Cigar Thoughts on fieldgoals.com the guy who behind the pen on that article for the last few years quite a while now is Mr. Jackson Bevins welcome to the Pedestrian Podcast Jackson Thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, I'm a big fan of all three of you guys, and I'm really, really excited to talk about this Meghan Markle interview. <laughs> and, uh, let's get to it. <laughs> so to be clear, none of us give a shit about the interview. <laughs> I had Kevin, Kevin Shockey, he, he messaged me. He, he sent me a tweet, Shockey from KJR on, on Tuesday saying, what's the UK yeah. opinion on the interview? I said, no one gives a toss. Like you care much more than we do. You tell me, what do you, what do you think about it? Cause I have no, you know, no clue. But, uh, <laughs> let, let's hope we, uh, we actually get some, some more honest answers on this, on this uh, next hour than uh, they got on that one. Let's leave it at that. Uh, so n- not a lot has happened really. <laughs> with the Seahawks last few weeks. Obviously there's still one major cloud hanging over the team and the storylines entering free agency. Uh, I'm going to give Rob a chance to get a run up on a runway because obviously people have been reading Seahawks draft bar the last few weeks uh, are probably quite aware of what's coming in a few minutes. So Jackson, uh, Russell Wilson, what's your take on how the last four or five weeks has gone with the current Seahawks starting quarterback? Yeah, you know, I've been pretty firmly, I mean, let me preface this by saying, what do I know? I'm just some guy. <laughs> my, my impression has been very firmly that Russell Wilson is not going anywhere. It it would be a move to the extreme detriment of the franchise to move him. Uh, the the mechanics necessary to get an equitable return on Russell Wilson are daunting to say the least. Um, I it's not a team, it's not a roster that has been put together for a rebuild. So you would be rebuilding at your most important position without the rest of the roster being in sync with that. So you're basically flushing the rest of Bobby Wagner's career. You're flushing the rest of Dwayne Brown's career. You know, these, these are our big consequences of moving on from Russell Wilson. Um, that said, I wouldn't be surprised if this is his last year uh, with Pete Carroll. Now that's different than saying his last year with, with the Seahawks. And, and I know Rob knows how I feel about this is, at some point, you do have to choose between Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. They've been together for a decade, which is crazy. That just doesn't happen in the NFL. And, you know, they're massive egos. 
from two different generations with two different goals and two different philosophies on how to play offensive football. So I would hope that the franchise looks at their 32-year-old Hall of Fame quarterback, looks at their 71-year-old Hall of Fame head coach, and chooses the quarterback over the head coach moving forward. But I wouldn't be surprised if this is the last year together. That said, I will be very, very, very surprised if Russell Wilson is not the quarterback of the Seahawks in the 2021 season. I said on this podcast about five weeks ago that I think Russell Wilson signs at least one more contract with the Seahawks. I think so too. I don't, I I keep waiting for the alert on my phone at this point. It just seems like a matter of days or weeks, Rob. Uh, What's your take on everything? Well, my my take is that I think Russell Wilson has has decided that he he, he wants to go and play somewhere else. And um, I think that um, he sees sort of Pete Carroll's vision and Pete Carroll's way of doing things and his vision and his way of doing things differs greatly. I think that, that Russell wants to, to play with tempo. I think he wants to attack opponents. I think he wants to try and score 30, 40 points. You know, I think he sort of sees offenses like Kansas City's, for example, and says, why can't we do that? You know, I, I, he, I think he sees himself as a peer of Patrick Mahomes, not, not a second tier quarterback who, who needs to play a different way. I think he wants to he wants to be in that kind of a system, and um, and Pete Carroll seemingly is not willing to do that. Um, I don't really understand why the Seahawks paid Russell Wilson thirty five million dollars a year if they weren't going to build around him and go with the offense that he wanted to do and give him the kind of input that he seeks. And I think when he signed a thirty five million dollar a year contract he was well within his rights to think that he was going to become the focal point and it was going to essentially be Russell Wilson's team. And, um, and that hasn't really happened. And I think that what he wants to do now, and I think there's a very deliberate reason why I picked those four teams when in the, in the message from Mark Rogers to Adam Schefter, uh, they're all offensive coaches. They're all big markets that they can provide him with the legacy that he requires. They'll probably play the way that he wants. Matt Nagy, of course, is from the, uh, Andy Reid coaching tree. Um, and and I think that he sort of sees his future elsewhere. And I think that we're sort of reading the tea leaves. I think if you sort of listen to what is being revealed in the media, it's stuff like, you know, that, that tr- essentially a passive aggressive trade request through Mark Rogers to Adam Schefter was incredible, especially because it went to Schefter. You, you just don't hear a quarterback list four teams that he's prepared to go to. That just doesn't happen. And, um, and then since then, you know, Mark Hill Silver's been 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 really on this and saying there's smoke, there's there's fire. Today, he said on Adam Shine's podcast that Wilson would have been traded already if Paul Allen was still with us, and and that he what a believes, statement. And he mm. believes that serious serious talks are ongoing, and and that and, and that a deal could be done. So, I, you know, my personal opinion is is that free agency is five days away. There either needs to be a, a come together moment in the next five days where where some kind of significant statement is made, not just a, well, we're not going to do anything this year, we're just going to keep it keep it rolling. It needs to be Russell Wilson coming out and saying, We we've come together and I'm here for the long haul. I'm I'm going to finish my career in Seattle. It could even be a statement like a new contract, because you know, if he signs a new deal, it lowers his cap hit. They can push the money down the line and it can mirror sort of Dak Prescott's deal and and sort of go with that. That would be a statement move or they just need to get the best offer that they can and move on. Because what you can't do is go into free agency with this mystery hanging over the team. How are you going to sign any good free agents if they don't know if Russell Wilson's going to be there? How can you plan for life beyond Russell Wilson if he's still on the roster? 
So something needs to give in the next five days one way or another. Adam? Yeah, I think when you try and think about sports teams and when there is, you know, let's, let's assume this isn't nothing and there is something going on between the head coach and the quarterback, if we're going to kind of polarize it in two ways. I'm trying to think how many examples, and maybe Jackson, you can help me, of times where that's just reconciled itself with a handshake, a hug and a kiss, and things just carry on as if it never happened. Because it's not someone that strikes me as, as, you know, that happens an awful lot. And the thing that I can't, I'm struggling to work out in my head is that Russell Wilson, I heard you guys talking um, on your on Rob's live stream that the amuse bouche before you know, the real journalists stepped in uh, for, for this podcast like us. Um, and uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I heard Jackson saying that, you know, he, he is the best quarterback that the Seahawks have had in 40 years. And obviously you're right. And um, it could be that he's the best quarterback that we ever see play for the Seahawks. And yet yeah. I'm, I'm struggling. I would, I would bet almost anything. hundred percent. If you were going that or the field, you would say that, it, it would be Wilson. And, but the thing that I'm struggling with overall is he compares himself to, or wants to be talked about in you know, LeBron James and Tom Brady category, but that's not really a category that he yet belongs in as a player. And I'm interested to know how you right. think that attitude situation is the best into to, how to resolve that, especially when the head coach by his own admission, isn't a guy that necessarily covers something like that under center. That's right. Okay. So, uh, great question, uh, multifaceted answer. We need to understand who his agent is. Russell in leverage between Major League Baseball and the National Football League over here. The Major League Baseball Players Association is the strongest workers union in this country. Players have incredible leverage. Mark Rogers, all of his portfolio is baseball players and Russell Wilson. And so he is operating from a standpoint, I believe, where he's used to players having a bunch of leverage. And his job is to maximize that leverage. Russell Wilson is going to make what Russell Wilson is going to make. He, he's not hiring Mark Rogers to get him more money. Russell Wilson has reached the echelon. No, he's not LeBron James or Tom Brady yet, but he's reached the echelon that he's going to get whatever amount of money he's going to get regardless of who's representing him because he's Russell Wilson. What Mark Rogers is providing for him is something beyond that. It is leverage within the franchise. It is control over his own legacy. It is not being at the mercy of a coach or a front office. He wants to – He and, and frankly, he's manifested a life for himself where he has this leverage that almost no one ever gets. And so the other thing that I keep in mind is, yes, this is the biggest story about Russell Wilson in his career, but in the first, and I don't know how much different it is than when he first hired Mark Rogers before his first contract extension and Mark Rogers told everyone, well, Russell's going to go play baseball. And that led all the talk shows here for two weeks. Russell Wilson is going to go play baseball. Oh my God. And then he signs his contract. And then before his last contract, Mark Rogers releases Sierra really wants him to be in New York. He really wants to go to the Giants, take over for Eli Manning, and be the king of the Big Apple. And then that led Sports Center over here and first take and pardon the interruption for two weeks. And then he signed his next contract. Mark Rogers understands leverage. Right now, Russell Wilson is at maximum leverage. And I think that what he wants isn't more, it's a hard, the, 
you know, great quarterbacks are going to get the next great contract. Maybe it's a million dollars here or there, but any agent can get Russell Wilson, his next con. What Mark Rogers job is, I believe is to get him as much leverage within this organization that he plans on spread right now. And the way to do that is to up the ante to get specific about what teams he might go to, but I, it would be franchise suicide to trade Russell Wilson unless either Trevor Lawrence or Deshaun Watson is coming back because you are flushing your roster if you do that. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I think, Adam, you said if, if they're going to trade him, it has to be a team in that top five, ten this year's draft because of the quarterbacks, even though it's unknown quantities available. Well, I mean, conversely, Rob, I think you tweeted out earlier that Kellen Mond is a, is, is a talented quarterback. And I think that's probably instructive of, you have a slightly different view on this. And I think it's certainly one that uh, is more than worth investigating because um, you don't strike me as necessarily seeing the arse falling out of everything if Wilson goes and, you know, Lawrence Watson doesn't come back through the door to replace it. Well, there's a few sort of strands to it. And, you know, Kellen Mond is certainly one of the reasons for that. I, I suppose this is something that I've kind of thought about a bit this week because um, of the prospect, at least, of something happening here. And, and and I came up with this list. So in 2015, the Broncos won the Super Bowl with an ineffective Peyton Manning at quarterback, swapping in with Brock Osweiler. In 2017, the NFC Championship game was played between Nick Foles and Case Keenum. In 2017, Nick Foles was the Super Bowl MVP and he won the Super Bowl with the Eagles. Also in 2017, Blake Bortles was a matter of minutes away from beating Tom Brady in the AFC Championship game and, and playing in the Super Bowl himself. In 2018 and 2019, Jared Goff and Jimmy Garoppolo were the two quarterbacks representing the NFC in the, in the Super Bowl. Ryan Tannehill was a game away from the Super Bowl in 2019. And if you go back a little bit further, Joe Flacco was the Super Bowl MVP when Baltimore last won the Super Bowl. And Eli Manning won the Super Bowl twice, beating Tom Brady on two occasions. So, you know, it's, it, there's, there's, certainly it's preferable to have a top five quarterback. And my preference would be that they come to some resolution with Russell Wilson or that this had never happened in the first place. And they would have just, you know, my off-season plan was completely wrong. Um, based around building around Wilson and making sure that the offense could be as explosive and as productive and as physical as possible. Um, so it's not that I desperately want to move on, but I, there is an argument to be made that if you suddenly have a whole bunch of cap space and a whole bunch of picks, that theoretically it, it doesn't have to be the end of the world. Kellen Mond for me is the third best quarterback in this draft. Um, people say, well, you need to be in the top 10 to get a quarterback because they assume Justin Fields and um, Trey Lance are quarterback three and four. It's Kellen Mond for me. And it's, it's, it's not even really that close. So once Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson have gone off the board, is Kellen Mond available later on? Yes, perhaps. Um, and I really rate Kellen Mond. And I'm not saying that he's a direct replacement for Russell Wilson, but if you had you know, a whole bunch of picks and $180 million to spend next year. Is it beyond the realms of possibility that you could build a competitive team? I don't think it is. And for the last few years, the Seahawks haven't been that competitive for me. They've won a lot of games. And they've won one playoff game in the last four years. Mm -hmm. and, and for me, yep. Yep. They, they need to be a lot better than they have with or without Russell Wilson. 
On, one, one thing on Keller. That Mon- I agree with. One, one thing on Keller Monroe, when I've watched him, it, he seems like someone, if it clicks, he's going to be like incredible. But there's a lot of like benefit of the doubt when I kind of watched him. But, is that very, quick, very quickly on Keller Monroe. So what you've got here is, you so Zach Wilson, one year starting, Justin Field, like two years starting, Trey Lance, one season and a game. Um, you know, not, not very good game either. No, Davis Mills has played eleven games for Stanford. So you've got a whole bunch of quarterbacks. So you watch them and you sort of see the issues with each one of them, and you have absolutely no idea whether or not any of them are going to ever get over that, or whether these are these are struggles and traits they're just going to have straight through to the pros. With Kellen Mond, you've got four years of tape where you can go, okay, how did he play in 17, 18, 19, 20? And by the time he got to 20, the level of improvement from 2018 was unbelievable. So he's incredibly athletic. He's not sort of the improvisation quarterback who's, who's moving around in the pocket and extending plays and throwing off angles like Zach Wilson is, like Patrick Mahomes is, like Trey Lance is going to be. He plays within a structure, but can he run 50 yards for a touchdown, six yards? Yes, he's done it. Um, he's got a rocket arm. He, you know, he's, he's incredible going through progressions. Some of the throws that he made for Texas A&M last season were unbelievable. Go and watch the Arkansas game. Some of the throws that he makes in that are just absolutely fantastic. He threw the best pass of 2020 for me against Florida. Um, he's, he, he, at the Senior Bowl, he was by far the best quarterback at the Senior Bowl. He was the Senior Bowl MVP in the game. The game doesn't really matter that much. Watch him in the red zone drills during the Senior Bowl in Mobile. You know, everyone's talking about Mac Jones as a top 10 quarterback all of a sudden. Watch Mac Jones in the red zone. He couldn't throw it. He couldn't get any, he didn't complete a pass in the red zone because he hasn't got the arm strength to drive it into a tight window. And then Keller Mon trots out onto the field, absolutely nails nearly every single throw that he put in the red zone. He was absolutely fantastic. If you watch the highlights, they're on YouTube. You can hear the sideline, you know, going, Ooh, uh, you know, every time he threw a pass because he was playing so well. Keller Mond is, he, he may be the most underrated player in this draft. And, um, now I've been writing about him for a few weeks now. I, I hope that he doesn't come to us having to have a more serious conversation about Keller Mond in a few weeks' time. I hope that there is a, a resolution here, which means that's avoidable. But if, <laughs> if it's not, I'm just saying, you know, if you have pick 20 and you have to take and you get Keller Mond and, and there'll be, the inevitable will be it's a reach, it's a bad pick, he's not Trey Lance, he's not Justin Fields. For me, I, I would put him ahead of, of both of those players. Wow. Uh, that's, that's big. I, I, I'm so sorry. I, I want to jump in on, on that really quickly. Uh, first of all, I, I will say that of everybody in my sphere, and I, I, I try to follow a number of intelligent and plugged in people. Rob is the best talent evaluator that, that I know. And so I, I defer to him on this. And one thing that I think is in favor of the argument for moving on from Russell Wilson and replacing him with a rookie is we are seeing, you know, quarterback used to be, it still is the highest risk, highest reward decision in American sport. Who is going to be the quarterback of the future of your franchise? It has the biggest impact on uh, the success of your team. But we are also seeing, you know, here now, these guys, all of these guys that we're talking about have been picked from the time they were 11 years old. They have been trained to be NFL quarterbacks since they were in middle school. And it goes beyond the physical prowess to be, to be an NFL quarterback, to be a franchise quarterback, you have to have a CEO mindset. And these guys are coming out ready for that. They really are. And so I don't think the risk in a highly rated 
rookie quarterback is nearly as high as it used to be. You know, in hindsight, Ryan Leaf, why on earth would you ever use a top two pick on him, right? Big arm, who cares? But the guy was a mess. But nowadays, these guys have been dissected since before puberty, and they've learned how to, to live with that. So I do think there is uh, something to be said for, you know, going for a rookie quarterback, if it's one of those top five or six guys that Rob is talking about, I just the chances of them ever being Russell Wilson are so slim. Uh, yeah, Jackson, quick back on the baseball thing. I, I said a few weeks ago to Adam about legacy and Tiger Woods. I, is Russell Wilson even on Ken Griffey let standing in Seattle? If if he left tomorrow, wow. is he remembered in what the same way as Griffey? No, will ever be cooler than Ken Griffey Jr. in Seattle. Ken Griffey Jr. rating is through the roof. He was the first athlete that this city ever had. The rest of the country cared about. You know, we've had you know, Sean Kemp and Peyton were cool. Steve Largent is one of the all-time greats. Ken Griffey Jr. Right? You could go to another in the United States or another city in the United States and say you're a Mariners fan, and people are like, "Oh, fucking Ken Griffey Jr. Hell yeah, <laughs> that guy is rad." Russell Wilson never be that. That said, Russell Wilson is the best and most important athlete that Seattle has ever had. Uh, 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 Adam? Yeah, I had a question that I was going to talk about roster construction. uh, And it was basically that, uh, as Rob touched upon, that I think we all probably agree that the the records in the win and loss column has probably slightly overrated the pudding on the talent that's in the roster. And I think they probably overperformed their true talent. And you've got four guys, I think right now that you could say are probably the started at the end of last year that are walking out in KJ, Dunlap, Shaq Griffin, Chris Carson. Doesn't look great. And my, my question was going to be, you know, is this maybe a year that you've, you've spent so many years in the past trying to make a reach and reach and reach to, tr- to try and make something happen? And it's not quite working. It's left you in a position where you've got minimal picks, minimal cash, and, you know, there's not a lot of money going around. Is this maybe the, the time to take a step back and say, look, we've got to have a year where we properly reset? Because fair play to them, they've rebuilt in three years and stay competitive, which is, you know, pretty rare. Most teams, when they, they rebuild, they blow it up, have to start again, and it all goes to shit for a couple of years and it comes back. So fair play to them for, you know, putting up more wins and losses every year, making the playoffs every year. But it feels like winter has come a little bit in this off season with, with what there is to do um, for want of a worse expression, I guess. But my my question actually uh, to go back to the Wilson and Pete thing is that if this is a ultimately a power struggle in Russell Wilson versus Pete Carroll and John Schneider, are we happy as a group that it's going to be those two guys that have, left you in this very inverted commas mess to, to carry on and, and take that perhaps 180 million next year and, and draft picks and say, okay, do it again. Jack Jackson, what do you reckon? I would rank them this way in importance to Seattle's future, Russell Wilson, John Schneider, Pete Carroll. And, mm-hmm. and that is not meant as a knock against Pete Carroll. Um, as I've said before, Pete Carroll, first of all, when Pete Carroll first came into the league, he was an elite in-game coach. He was there to bury you. Like I said to Rob earlier, he was coaching the way that he did at USC where wins weren't enough. You had to win by 50 to impress the voters so that you could get a chance to play for the national championship. Uh, I, I mentioned earlier the 
time in 2012 when the team really started to coalesce in the back half and they were blowing teams out. They beat the Cardinals by 40. They beat the Bills by 50. They beat the Niners by 30 all in a row. And they were the scariest team in the league going into the playoffs. They ran a fake punt up 44 to nothing against Buffalo in the fourth quarter. Like Pete Carroll was there to stomp you into the ground and that is gone. So that said, I, I think that Pete Carroll is now an average at best in-game coach. He's he's lost all the teeth. He, he gets caught up in his emotions, which he's very open about. He's overruling his coordinators. He's making timid decisions on fourth down. He's wasting timeouts. He's a terrible review coach. All of these in-game things, he won't delegate any of that. And that'll never happen at this point. So, I mean, Pete, but he's he is still elite at culture building at being a CEO, it can't go overlooked that they're the only team that didn't lose a single player, a single player to a single practice due to COVID protocols. He monitors their sleep. They've got tracking devices on them from the second they check into the VMAC that shows how quickly they're getting from drill to drill. His team meetings are concise. Like Greg Olson said today, he's never seen anything in minutes on the dot in your edge of the seat the whole time because there's no wasted time. Great at that is not meant as a knock on Pete Carroll. But what I, if you're going to move, if you're going to make this decision, you do not have to make it this year. Russell Wilson's value does not go down after this year. But you have Bobby Wagner and Dwayne Brown and some of these guys, Tyler Lockett, where you've got another really good year from them, presumably. And if you move on from Russell Wilson right now and you draft Kellen Mond, or you trade for whoever, if it's not Lawrence or, or Deshaun Watson, you're punting the next two years, which means you're punting the last couple of years of usefulness from some of your best players. So if you're going to move on from Russell Wilson, do it next year. Don't do it this year. Don't eat the huge cap hit this year. Uh, on that cap hit, Rob, you, they released or cut, whichever way they phrased it, Carlos Dunlap over the weekend, and you, you, you had a bit about how that kind of makes that more plausible than keeping Carlos made it. Well, look, I, I, I want Carlos, I wanted, wanted the Seahawks to keep him really because uh, I was, I was hoping that they might be able to extend his contract because um, you know, I, I don't like this annual dance of uh, lose a pass rusher, replace a pass rusher. And <laughs> um, it's, it's not done them any good. And I don't really understand why they've had such trouble putting a, you know, for a team that has to run, rush with four, and relies on that. Well, they've had such a difficult job putting a pass rush together since uh, the the Averill and Bennett days, especially when they did such a fine job of finding Chris Clemens and Averill and Bennett and Frank Clark. You know, in the in the formative years of the Carroll era, why it's been such a chore in this in this sort of second flush of this Carroll era. So, uh, look, that's a huge need. It's as much of a need as the O line. Everyone loves to talk about the O line, but the D line is is just as much of a need. But you know, you you were talking there about. Um, the importance of, of individuals within the organization. You know, one of my, one of the quotes that really stuck with me with Pete Cowell, and I've sort of tried to remind myself of this at time, various times, you know, cause I think it's a, it's a good quote for your life really was that it, it's never too late to reinvent yourself. It's, it's something that Pete said once. And I don't know if he said it multiple times or whether he just said it once and it really struck me. And yet Pete seems so reluctant in this sort of late stage of his career to reinvent that, you know, he only has to look at Alabama and see what Nick Saban has done, which is take a huge step back from the offense and employ 
you know, a, a fantastic offensive coordinator to come in and, and, and make the most of Alabama's great riches on offense. And then his sort of side of the ball is the defense and he sticks to that and he manages the team and he's the head on show of that team. But ultimately he doesn't control every aspect of Alabama and Pete could be a great figurehead. He could be a great master motivator, organizer, the, uh, you know, the, the, the head of the table of everything at the Seahawks, but he doesn't have to control the offense. He doesn't have to, we don't have to see the Seahawks take a timeout on third and three because uh, Pete wants to play, run this play and the offensive quarter one wants to run another and they get out the huddle with like two seconds to go. You know, it's, it's quite possible that for Pete to just let the offense do the offense and Pete, get out the way, take your headset off yes. and get on with it. Absolutely. And so I don't know why he's not sort of just said, look, he's been doing it his way since the reset. He got rid of everybody, Sherm, Bennett, um, Earl, uh, or, you know, Chris Richard, uh, Bevel went, you know, everybody went and, and it was, a, it was, it was, and Norton, Ken Norton comes back because they can't get Gus Bradley and he appoints Schottenheimer and he, and he builds everything around it so that it's the Pete Carroll show. Um, and it hasn't worked. They've, they've not got close back to the Super Bowl. They don't look like a Super Bowl contender. You look at 12 and four and you go, great record. It is a good season, good regular season. But at no point during the last season did I think, the Seahawks are going to win three games and, 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 and lift a title. They're not, they're not going to beat the Packers in Lambeau. They're, they're probably not going to beat uh, the Saints in New Orleans. So I, I think that he needs to sort of take a step back and, and look at it. And the other quick point I would make is it does feel a little bit like Pete in this kind of desperation to maybe win one more Super Bowl before it finishes. They just start throwing stuff at the wall and seeing if something will stick. It's like, well, you know, going into the regular season, we haven't got a pass rush. So who's out there? Uh, trade for Jamal Adams and just, you know, give away everything, whatever it takes to get him. And, you know, you know, we've gone into the season before we haven't got any pass rush. Jadavian Clowney, let's get him. You know, it, it, it all just seems a bit, the Daryl Taylor, the draft, you know, that they did last year, everything just seems to be a bit of a seat of his pants type thing. It's like Pete wakes up in the morning and, and has a thought that, well, let's go and get him. And they, they do it. Whereas I'd like to see more of a, you know, a, a John Schneider plan where John's given the, the full control to, to put this roster together and Pete just does what Pete does so well, motivate, inspire yeah. and lead. Yeah. So, yeah. He's so good. He's so good at the hard stuff and, and so bad at the easy stuff. He's, he, he's, he's so good at the unseen stuff as well. That's something that uh, Mike yeah. Dugo has said to me before that Pete, the, the things that Pete Cow does Monday to Saturday night, is the stuff that means probably more to the players than what they do on Sundays kind of thing it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It is, it is a tough thing. Um, Adam. Yeah. That, that list that you just said, Rob was interesting. You know, when you talk about the, the Bennett's, the Thomas's, the Sherman's, the Baldwin's, I mean, and I'm trying to find a, a common thread in, in what's happened with players in the Pete Carroll era. And I'm thinking that it's, you know, Pete has taken a talent that he has spotted probably quicker or more than anyone else has, and he's nurtured that, and he's encouraged them to to grow and speak their mind as, as much as they want and really become a huge personality in their own right. But eventually, it's reached a point where, you know, the helium balloon has just got a bit too high and it's, it, it's burst, and that's had to go. And I'm thinking of Russell Wilson, and funny you mentioned Dugard just there, Stu. Mike wrote an article about how you, you, can, you can look at Russell Wilson's press conferences from the last five or six years, and you can see breadcrumbs of 
what's happening right now. You know, he wants to be the best. He thinks he's the best. He demands the best. He wants this, he wants that and the other. It's kind of the same way that, but we've just not noticed it as much because it's not on a podium screaming about Chris Carter or shouting at Skip Bayless. It's, it's the other way. It's kind of the, the angel on the shoulder instead of the devil on the shoulder way in which this superstar has built himself up. And I just wonder if maybe Jackson, I know we all don't want to think it because we don't want our quarterback to leave, but have we reached the point where the Russell Wilson helium balloon has just got too high for Pete to, to tolerate and, and that will be the end of it because he's been ruthless with everyone else? Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe. And I think, I think the prudent play is one last ride. If I were Jody Allen, assuming that she is the only person that can, you know, pull rank on Pete Carroll because they really did give him the keys to the entire franchise. I would, I would look at, this is not a make or break year for us. Wilson. I would look at this as a make or break year for Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll is eminently more replaceable than Russell Wilson. And that is again, not a knock on Pete Carroll. We are talking about having spent a decade with a great head coach, a great general manager, and a great quarterback. That is the triumvirate that every franchise hopes to have. And they've had it for a long time, but these things do have a shelf life. And I think Russell Wilson is far and away the most valuable asset of those three. So I, I just I just don't see this as Russell Wilson's highest value. If if you decide to move on from Russell Wilson do it after this year because that gives you flexibility in salary cap because it's presumably going to balloon over the next couple of years. It gives you uh, freedom with Bobby Wagner. It gives you freedom with Dwayne Brown. These are big contracts that, you know, Russell Wilson, I don't think anyone's going to say Russell Wilson's not going to be a top 10 quarterback for the next five years, but that's not going to be true of Bobby Wagner. That's not going to be true of Dwayne Brown. And, you can't just punt those big contracts, years of those big contracts right now. I don't think if you move on from Russell Wilson, the prudent move is to move on from those guys and get what you can from them too, because the return on those two guys is nothing after this. But so, so run it back, run it back. But this should be a make or break year for Pete Carroll, not a make or break year for Russell Wilson, in my opinion. Yeah, and as, as someone I think you are quite close to, Jackson, Danny Kelly often tweets, it's always a circus with uh, this team. And I think this offseason is taking the biscuit on that. Um, anything else from Russell Wilson? It's been almost an hour on Russell Wilson. <laughs> Stu, Stu, what do you think? You've, yeah. uh, you've, you've not said too much about that so Me? Far. I, 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 like, yeah, I, I don't want to lose the starting quarterback of the Seahawks, but the longer it goes on, the more stuff that comes out. It's, it might be partly because it's, coming from Michael Silver and Colin Cowherd, and I just can't compute, agree with anything ever, ever say. But um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I, I want Russell Wilson to stay, but I, I really think, that I, I think Pete Carroll is going to hold sway over Jerry Allen if, if that helium balloon has got too high, which I think it probably has. I don't thought of it that way. I don't was quite, that was quite nicely put together. Um, yeah, I, I, I do think Russell Wilson is gone, and I'm, I am legitimately just waiting for the notification to come through. And I've, But also one more thing on the, the list of teams that he got. They also seem like teams of Gruden and Mayock and the Bears and how they have attacked the... I think you wrote about that, Rob, maybe with the Bears, um, how they have attacked the quarterback position. They're teams who who are willing to be aggressive, aren't they? 
Well, the Bears are particularly interesting because their GM, Ryan Pace, is a, is essentially a dead man walking. I mean, if, if he doesn't deliver a, a top quarterback this year, he will be fired in 12 months' time. So a, a first-round pick in 2023 to Ryan Pace means absolutely nothing if somebody else is spending it. So he might as well use that on Russell Wilson. And I think the Bears will pretty much say, and, and probably have already said, in fact, you can have anything. If it's Khalil Mack, if it's three first-round picks, if it's three second-round picks, if it's Roquan Smith, if it's anybody else that you want, um, you can have your pick of the bunch. We need a quarterback. And you can only just, you know, all you have to do is sort of peruse Bears Twitter for five minutes to see that pretty much every Bears fan is on board with just whatever it takes get Russell yeah. Wilson. This is a franchise that has never had a franchise quarterback, really. I mean, it's, it's incredible. You're talking... 70 years since they had a quarterback of any description and he threw it like two times a game. So they, they're desperate. They're a fan base that are desperate. Ryan Pace is desperate. He's, he's going to be known as the man who traded up to draft Mitch Trubisky instead of sitting tight and taking Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson if he doesn't make a move here. It's his last chance. So they're going to be hugely desperate. They traded for Khalil Mack a, a few years ago and, and that was a big move. They, they have traded and moved around and been aggressive. And, and the Bears are just in absolute desperation mode. Um, and I, you know, my personal view on this is I think Russell Wilson is, is ready to move on. And the only, and I think that he possibly will, I think the only thing that can change it is if whether this was just some really elaborate ploy to get Russell Wilson a contract extension two years after his deal which I, I'm just not buying really I think this is for Wilson it's about how often does he mention legacy how often does he mention uh, winning and he named his son win and I think that he doesn't feel that they are going to win to the level that he wishes in Seattle now whether he's going to win to that level in Chicago or not I'm not sure but something to keep in mind Tampa Bay was, well that's just it right that's yeah. just it you're going to if if some team is going to trade all of their best players and all of their best assets for Russell Wilson, is an active destination for him. But I think that I think the thing is is that he's he's looked at Tampa Bay, who were seven and nine last year, and Super Bowl champions a year later, and he's looked at the Bears, who were eight and eight and were started five and one, and he's thought, and and, and obviously if the Bears trade away seven players, then it's going to be harder. If the Bears just trade away, let's say, Khalil Mack, for example, then, yes, it's a huge loss. But it's a, it's a player who, you know, you've just got to go and replace him, haven't you? You've still got the framework there of a team. So, I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I, I think that um, it's probably 50-50 at this point. I think it could go either way. And, and maybe this weekend will be the, you know, deadline spur results. And this weekend feels like a moment when, when maybe Pete and Russ could get together and go, what are we doing? Do you really want to go? Or Because if you do, we've got whoever, the Bears, the Dolphins, the Raiders on, on the phone right now to do this trade. Do you want to do this or not? Because if I make this call, that's it. And then whatever Russell Wilson says to that will determine probably which direction this goes. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's. I, I kind of thought it'd be last weekend and then nothing happened, but yeah, this weekend with free agency certainly seems. Uh, talk of free agency, moving on. All the Seahawks, all the departures. Um, Shaquille Griffin, Chris Carson, unsurprisingly, were not franchise tagged. Jackson, um, they're both playing their football 
on Sundays elsewhere next year, aren't they? I think so. Yeah. I, you know, I think I, I really like both of those players a lot. Um, I think those are stomachable losses versus the cost that it would take. I, I think that in Seattle's current cap situation, eight plus million dollars on Chris Carson, who is good for 12, admittedly very good games a year, but only 12 games a year would be a terrible use of very precious resources. If Shaquille Griffin's going to get 15 million plus on the market, which he very well might, that's not a good use of their resources. I do think that they have, I think, I think running back is a fungible enough position that you can replace most, assuming, especially if uh, Richard Penny is back to even 90, 95% of what he was right before he got hurt when he is ripping off multiple 140 yard games in a row. I, I, you can let those guys go. I, I do think Seattle has a lot of cornerback talent uh, with the additions of Dunbar. I think Trey Flowers has really come into his own. I think that um, DJ Reed was an amazing pickup. I mean, Pete Carroll can get, get running back. That's a shame. That's a locker room hit with all three of those guys. But those are replaceable talents. The irreplaceable talent is Russell Wilson. Yeah. Rob, Carson and Shaq. Yeah, I, I think they're both gone. And I, you know, Shaquille Griffin, um, I, I just don't I, don't, I don't see, there's probably a team out there, maybe Jacksonville or somebody who've got the money who will, who will pay him X and Seattle will want to pay him Y and, and he will move on. Point about running back. If you're going to piece together, they do. I think it's plug and play. I think it's still DJ Dallas. I think it's still Rashad Penny. I think it's still Mike Davis or Jamal Williams or Duke Johnson or one of these guys that can come in and be a pass catching back. That's fine. That to me is even strengthens the argument for still having Russell Wilson there because <laughs> you're going to have to be more reliant on your passing game in that situation. And, and they've got such unbelievable talent on the receiving end of the pass that I Again, I just think you're sacrificing so much elsewhere by moving on from Russell Wilson, even with all the money that it would free up and all the draft picks that it would it would bring in. But um, yeah, with those with those two positions, I just I think you can live without him. I think you can live without Sam linebacker. I think Jordan Brooks has shown an unbelievable ability to play uh, a high level at all three linebacker positions that Pete Carroll wants. So KJ Wright, you can live with. Shaquille Griffin, like I said, they got the depth behind him. You can figure out running back. Running back is the easiest position to figure out in the modern NFL. And and that's not someone who's anti-running back saying that. It's just a good running back is better than a not good running back for sure. It's not a team. Okay, so, I mean, from a more general standpoint, looking at the roster from 30,000 feet, two of you know this, Jackson, you don't know this, but my sports fandom manifests itself in 100% pessimism and an assumption that things will be shit at all times. <laughs> that, that's how I am. It's unfortunately that that's, that's how my, 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 uh, my wiring is, and it's, it's a shame because I don't, don't really get to enjoy anything because I'm always looking around the corner at what, what's to come that's going to be bad. But my, my, so, and as that, that's probably reflective of what I'm about to say about, about the roster. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, when I was talking about the, the team building question, I can't see how they're going to be able to put something on the field that's a real competitor. And we know what a competitor looks like. And as a result, there's part of me thinking, well, don't, 
don't scratch and claw your way to try and do another Jamal Adams style trade and, and, and mess up the future in, in order to try and resolve this year. You, you seem much more positive than me, Jackson. So tell me why I'm completely wrong. And, uh, you know, things can certainly be resolved and, and, and that there's enough there to put something competitive and to be proud of on, on the field this year. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think I, I do think you run it back this year. Um, I, I just don't think you're in a position to do much else other than blowing it up. And again, I've talked about the collateral uh, from that. And it's so funny. You guys were pitching me shit about the group that I am now outside in a hailstorm, and uh, am getting pelt, pelted with BB sized uh, hills coming down. But, but yeah, you know, it's, it's something where I, I don't that you fill out a deep, beautiful, gorgeous roster this year because of Percy Harvin, because of Jimmy Graham, because of Jamal Adams, because of all of these, I have been in favor of all of them at the time because you had a Super Bowl quality roster or something close to it. And I would much rather punt two birds in the bush for one bird in the hand. I mean, Percy Harvin, Jimmy Graham, and, and Jamal Adams are the players you hope and dream and pray that those draft picks become someday. So I've, I've been in favor of it, but we have reached the end of that road for sure. And, and you do need to start reconstructing a five-year plan. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's there. I, I think the prudent play, and again, you know, what do I know? I'm, I'm just some guy. But it's you, – you extend Russell Wilson, you can create so much cap space. Why wouldn't you – you know, give him the money he wants, move the cap hits down the line for when you're going to have 200 million plus and go out, go out and get these offensive linemen and the pass rushers and the things that you can do right now to uh, replace some of these guys that even. So I don't know. I, I think there's a way forward. I think that way forward is an extension to Russell Wilson and to Rob's point. That's not, that's gotta be something that Russell Wilson wants. I don't know that Russell Wilson, if it was like, it's going to be five more years of Pete Carroll. Maybe he doesn't sign up for that to me make a break for not Russell Wilson and think that again, I hate to keep bringing it back to situation, but this is the domino. It's a domino that's times bigger than all of the others. And none of these decisions can be made without knowing what you're doing with Russell Wilson. So to me, you extend Russell Wilson, you plan on moving on from Pete Carroll in the next year or two, you tell Russell Wilson that and you compete for the next two years. And then, and then you see what's next. But I, I think there's a ton of promise with this offense. If if they can incorporate more motion, they can incorporate more deception, they can incorporate more quick passes, Russell Wilson could be continue to be a top three quarterback in this league. And if you got a top three quarterback with the type of weapons that he has and a couple of defensive studs, you can compete for a Super Bowl. Uh, it, Rob, is Shane Waldron, Waldron going to be able to do that? Because he's it's the it's the biggest role he's had thus far, and he he, he was apparently Russell's guy, but that seems like it's very tenuous in its usage. Yeah, it's sort of the report from Corbin Smith was that he was Wilson's guy of the remaining options, rather than necessarily that's the guy <laughs> that I want. Um, and and maybe it's because it's the Yorkshireman in me, but um, I, I tend to sort of lean towards Adam's view on this. When you look at um, how much cap space they've got, so it's about 20 million, but in terms of effective cap space, it's probably more near a 10. 
and then you've you've got four draft picks and you know being able to fill holes at guard center cornerback running back tight end sam linebacker and fill out your depth because, well, past Russia now, Carlos Dunlap's gone, but then you've also got players like Benson Mayer out of contract, um, you know, a whole host of, of, of depth players, you know, like Dunbar's not going to be there, presumably, and stuff like this. So you, you've got an awful lot to do. And with only one pick in the first, like, 140 picks, you know, you've really only got one chance to get a legitimate guy who can contribute to, let's say, the level that Damian Lewis has in the draft. So then, then you're looking at it and you're thinking, I just, at the moment, I'm looking at the sheet and I'm thinking, I don't actually know how the Seahawks are going to fill all of these needs. Short of just signing, you know, 15 players on metro, veteran minimum contracts, there's, there's, it's kind of like, how do you fill your depth out? How do you sort of get a quality cornerback, quality center, quality mm-hmm. guard? Even if you're not, I'm not even talking about Corey Lindsley and Joe Tooney at this point. I'm talking about bringing James Carpenter back. I mean, you know, it's, even he's going to cost a couple of million dollars. So, it's 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 a real challenge, and I'm kind of sat here waiting for our domino. And and yeah, you know, Jackson's absolutely right. What what Wilson's situation is is the first one. Um, is it some kind of an extension or a restructure to create more money? Is there a trade? And it doesn't even necessarily have to be Russell Wilson. It could be somebody else that gets you back in the draft. I mean, I think you have to pick more times than once in the first 130, 40 picks in this draft, and and I think that, that, that something has got to give here. Otherwise, the Seahawks, and they're not the only team. I mean, let's, let's be right. There's about 15 teams in the league right now in the exact same position. But, uh, you know, they're, they're, you've already seen the Saints are releasing players, re, you know, redoing deals, aren't they? You know, we're seeing players cut left, right and centre all of a sudden. That's just going to continue over the next few days. The Seahawks haven't made a mood other than Carlos Dunlap yet. And they've done that to give him a head start on free agency and the Ravens are already apparently interested. So there's a lot to do there. I know it's a, it's a long-winded way to not answer your question about Shane Waldron, but um, whether Shane Waldron can do it or not, it's probably going to depend on Pete Carroll to come back to there again. Is Pete Carroll going to let Shane Waldron do what Shane Waldron wants to do? Because yeah, that, I, mean, that's I, what, I agree. That's the straw that broke Schottenheimer's back, wasn't it? Because he clearly wanted to do something which Pete Carroll wanted no part of anymore and it all blew up into a hastily arranged tweet um, what nine weeks ago, Rob? Was that nine weeks ago? God, that feels I don't know if that feels like a long time ago or not now. Schottenheimer going, but it's just funny because you know, on the one hand, the Seahawks didn't adjust at all in the second half of last season. I mean, how many how frustrating was it to watch games where it didn't start well and you know, they come up against two safety looks in games and you thought, well, that's it, you know, that's the offense done for today. Um, and they had no real answer to get out of that. And they just kept doing the same thing over and over again. The, the Rams playoff game was kind of like the tip of the iceberg with it, really, because you just sort of, it imploded so much, but we'd seen everything you know, gradually building to that. And how much responsibility does Brian Schottenheimer deserve for not being able to adjust and come up with a game plan? Yeah, that's a, a legit question to ask. But yes, clearly he and Pete Carroll did not see eye to eye. And I think Schottenheimer was very much of the, let Russ cook mentality. And I think Pete's very much in the let's shorten the game and win 17-14 territory. And that's and I think Schottenheimer decided if I want to be a head coach, I'm probably going to have to go a different path here. And they've parted, probably in decent terms, but ultimately they've parted. And then um, we saw the exhaustive search for an offensive coordinator. And, you know, I am relieved it's Shane Waldron and not one of the other guys that was being linked. If they'd have just brought in Pete's old receivers and running backs, coach, yeah. 
England and USC, then that would have been an absolute travesty. So thank goodness they're trying something different. But um, whether Pete, this is the problem though. I, I, set, I always had this feeling that Pete's a little bit suspicious of the McVeigh offense, that Pete kind of looks at it like he doesn't understand it and, <laughs> and, and thinks, what's, what's that all about? And, um, and, and, is, and, and if Shane Walden says, I'm going to do this today, Pete, is Pete going to go, well, you say you're going to do that, but actually what we're going to do is this. And if that <laughs> happens, then it's not going to work. Yeah. It, also, if uh, Jackson, if um, Dave Canales had got the job, uh, you'd, you'd, be in, you'd be in the money for like, uh, what's the word? Doppelganger work, wouldn't you? But, uh, if Dave Canales got the job. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, have, I have an unhealthy affinity for uh, Dave Canales because of my own vanity. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and the fact that we apparently look exactly alike, so I, I would love to see that. I do, I do think one thing, and I know all three of you guys are are very aware of this, but you know, for for those listening, and a lot of people listening are aware of this too. But it, important context when we're talking about this off season, we are talking about one of the most unique off seasons in NFL history, certainly in the free agency history uh you know this is like 2011 again when the holdout messed up the whole league calendar and we got in that teams aren't operating under the same set of circumstances that they normally are this is a year where the salary cap went down for the first time in ever and team you know these guys we're seeing way more cuts than we're ever going to see we're going to see way more studs signing one-year contracts because they know that the money isn't there for four and five-year deals at top of the market pricing you know there are for a few teams but to rob's point half the league is in the same situation as seattle and i do think it's important that when you talk about the decisions that you're going to make this offseason is that teams are constrained by a reduced cap when they're used to anticipating a free 10 to $14 million showing up every year from league revenue, they don't have that this year. And presumably this is going to be the only year where that's the situation. So you do have to kind of box lefty on this one. You have to think about it a little bit differently. You have to understand that in a normal year, extending Carlos Dunlap is probably a no brainer, but are you going to give three years and $40 million this year to a 32 year old pass rusher? No, you're not. And if that's what it was going to take to keep him, you got to let him try and get that somewhere else and then hope you can bring him back on a 227, something that they offered Clowney last year. And so, you know, we are looking at a, a very, very different offseason. And, and I, again, this comes back to why I think they just run it back this year. I don't think that you make big change the entire direction and character of your franchise decisions in this offseason. Uh, Adam? Yeah, Rob, you had a, a good kind of tete-a-tete with Corbin Smith a couple of weeks ago where, uh, you know, a, a philosophical difference. I think he was uh, trying to spend the credit card like if I was going to walk into a McLaren showroom and buy myself three cars uh, on, on an Amex that I definitely wouldn't be able to afford. Um, and you were slightly more pragmatic with your your view on how to spend it. But I heard you guys talking earlier, again, in your half-hour live stream, which was great, and if people can check that out, but they definitely should do. Um you seem to be coming around a bit more to the idea that a ballooning cap in a couple of years' time could give you that flexibility to get the annex out and um, you know worry about the bills coming through next month. 
I have to my Amex is firmly in my pocket on this one. It, it's, it's not so much that the, the situation has changed, really. It's that, um, you know, I'm sort of a when I was sort of talking about this, it was it was really sort of pre Russell Wilson telling Adam Schefter the four teams he wouldn't be mind, minded to be traded to. And so I was sort of assuming, right, this is how do you make the Seahawks better this year with Russell Wilson at the heart of everything? And, you know, that to me means that you've got to pump serious resources into the O-line so that you've got a really terrific O-line, great pass protection, um, that you can provide him with the time to, 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 to reach all these great weapons and also deliver a running game for him that can, can be perfectly complementary in the same way that Tom Brady had one in, in Tampa Bay. Um, and then also I want to see the D-line become a real focus because I think the books have also shown that, that if on the other side of the ball, if you can get the other guy off the field, like look at Patrick Mahomes, he looked somewhat ordinary in the Super Bowl, not because he is, but because the books got after him. And if you've got that, then you, you'll win a lot of football games, especially in the playoffs, you know, because that's what I'm interested in. I want to see playoff wins. One playoff win against a Josh McCowan-led Eagles team in the last four years is not enough. I want to see, I want to see some playoff wins. I, you know, the, the wins against the Jets in week 15 is great, but I want to see some playoff wins. So I want to see that. And, and the only way that you're really, for me, going to put together that sort of line is by creating some, some money and... I, with no cap space and and with Russell Wilson still on the on the cap for next year, you if you do what Corbyn was suggesting, and there's no disrespect to Corbyn, but he was saying things like Bobby Wagner, ex, you know, restructure his deal so he's as a twenty six million dollar cap hit next year. Now that's yeah, that's quarterback money for Bobby Wagner. He was he was talking about giving Jamal Adams eighteen million. He was talking about extending Tyler Lockett. He was talking about extending Carlos Dunlap and Dwayne Brown. And, you know, when I did all the calculations, it would have meant that you'd had to sign about 25 players on less than a million dollars to fill out your <laughs> roster. You know, and that's a 53-man roster, not a not a 75-man roster. So it was like to get, right, to actually get right. a football team, you were going to have to sort of, like us four, we're going to have to play for the Seahawks next year. So I'm available. Um, I'm available. Uh, yeah, happens. Me too. Um, I've got the height. <laughs> but um, you chuck it up in the end zone. Um, but anyway, so... I think that if 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 Wilson stays, kind of like you have to make some difficult choices, and I don't want to see Bobby Wagner go, but I think you have to wonder whether 17 million this year and 20 million next year is is value for money, and I think you have to wonder whether a safety who blitzes eight times a game is is worth 18 to 20 million as, as Corbyn was pitching there, and if you come to the conclusion that that money is better spent on the trenches, which is personally what I'm kind of thinking right now that can get you quite a lot. So um, I'd, I'd, I'd sort of be leaning that way if it was up to me. Yeah. Uh, it sounds, Adam, I, I think that's... I think we've said it all, Stu. We've, yeah. we've, we've can, dotted can all the I's, crossed thing? all the T's. Can I just say one thing? How are you guys for uh, for Twitter drama? Do, oh, do you like it? Do you like a bit of Twitter drama or not? Love it. Drink it because, in. Because Jacina <laughs> Anderson has, has I've uh, just seen that. Yeah. created an absolute shitstorm on Twitter in the last... Uh, while we've been talking, actually, the last sort of 45 minutes, by just posting four letters on Twitter, whelp. And people are interpreting this as Russell Wilson's going to be traded. But um, who knows? Who knows anymore? She might have just had a rather disappointing lunch. I mean, you just don't know. No. She might have just been sat in that j- hailstorm Jackson was in. I mean, I did feel a bit weird. 
asking questions of a guy who was willingly sitting in a hailstorm. Uh, yeah, that was questioning my own judgment, asking him questions with, with his judgment were there, but maybe that's what it was all about. <laughs> hey, so, I had a good cigar. I had a good cigar I needed to finish. <laughs> so, Rob, so Rob, on, clicking on some other draft stuff, obviously, Javante Williams is someone you've been banging a drum for. Obviously, Chris Carson's exit makes that make more sense. Who else at that, like, at 55, because that's the 55-56 who else could be someone because I mean he, he seems to be lower on draft rankings but I wrote a couple of weeks ago about Deontay Brown from Alabama who's just a, ma- a massive human being but he just seems to move and with uh, Michael Patty walking off into the sunset onto his farm in Idaho Deontay Brown next to a TBD centre with Damian Lewis the other side is quite a, an enticing prospect for me at least Personally, I would, I wouldn't draft Deontay Brown. If if you know, I did a horizontal board and um, posted it a few days, and I didn't have him on it because he he, he rocked up to the Senior Bowl at about three hundred and seventy pounds, and that's not me sort of that that's actually what he weighed in as, and he was he was out of shape. He's he's got thirty two inch arms, short arms, and, and in the drills, it was it was embarrassing. I mean, by day three. He was struggling so much that he was kind of just throwing his arms up in the air. And the coaches were going to ha- were having to put their arm around him and say, "Come on, you know, let's let's have a bit more than this." And he can't move. I mean, like in a phone booth, you know, like if if he was if he was a uh, if he was trying to push me out of the way, he would have no problem. But and and, and he would have no problem pushing out of the way. Uh, you know, a, a, a much smaller, weaker um, defensive lineman, but. He can't pull. He can't get to the second level. He, he can't turn. You know, I shudder to think what Aaron Donald will do to him. I, I wouldn't draft him. Um, if you want to not, you know, some of the guys that I like, are you all fans of Game of Thrones or not? Or, look, no one's a Game of, a Game of Thrones fan after the last season, but were you a Game of Thrones fan before that? Never watched the episode. Bits and bobs. Okay, you will not know who I'm about to... There's, there's a guy in it called The Mountain, Right. And he's yeah. this big. I, I get, I get an idea of what he might look like. Scandinavian bodybuilder who just looks like a, a machine. And um, there's there's a guy in Georgia called Ben Cleveland, who is 354 pounds. He's got the arm length that they like. Um, he he's he had an incredible workout spark, which is what we have to go off now because there's no combine. He's just incredible. Like he beat the crap on his own out of Auburn. And we're talking about Auburn here. We're not talking about some like small school team. The Auburn defensive line were, were getting blocked out of place by him. And they were like throwing, thrashing around afterwards and just sort of shouting and screaming because they couldn't get away from him. They just couldn't get any gains. They couldn't push him back. They couldn't swim. They couldn't rip. They couldn't bull rush. They couldn't do anything. They were getting hugely frustrated with him. He's an absolute mountain of a man. Um, he, just, he will just kick the crap out of you. And I want an offensive lineman playing left guard who is going to beat the crap out of the Rams. I just want to see somebody get up there and, and, and smack a few people around. You know, that's what I want to see. I want to see a physical tone setting Seahawks team. And, and Ben Cleveland's a, a far better athlete than a lot of the media guys are saying. I think he really sets the tone. I think that there are, there are going to be some question marks. I mean, he, he was academically, um, had academic issues in Georgia. I, I don't think you're going to draft him for his, his qualities of, you know, appearance in a pub quiz. But certainly, you, uh, you you would draft him off the off, off the basis of he can get after it, he gets off the ball, and he's like I say, he moves across. There was one play against Auburn where the center sort of just reached up to the next level straight off the snap. You know, just didn't waste any time, dumped the nose, got off to the second level, go and get a linebacker. 
Ben Cleveland in a split second has just worked across, cut off the nose tackle, gained that great hand position inside into the chest, got the leverage, stoned him dead there. The running backs run straight behind him for eight-yard gain on second and four. And I just watched it and I was like, Gee, go and get this guy. You know, this is this is a guy that I really like. And look, he's not the only one. There's a ton of offensive linemen in this draft that um, it could like. And he's just a name that I don't think many people talk about. I could tell you about Quinn Miners if you wanted, but like everybody's a Quinn Miners fan. Yeah. So, um, you know, Big Ben Cleveland for me. Cool. That's, uh, that, that was that, uh, ending my Deontay Brown um, fan club quite, <laughs> quite eloquently and quite quickly as well. Um, and Stu does a lot of research on this, so to see him be shot down that quickly is, you know, tough times. How quick that was! That's how, that's so impressive. Uh, on defensive side, there's only three names I've seen Rob who have been linked with the Seahawks in draft visit. I, I haven't looked last few days, but they're all defensive linemen. They're all three tech kind of Jaron Reed types. Tommy Toy Guy from Ohio State, Darius Stills at West Virginia. And another one I can't remember the name of. Is there anything to read into that? Because the two of them, well, Darius Stills is probably a bit late, but two of them are going to be in that 50, 70 range, aren't they? So I've got, got an interesting story on both of those. Um, I mean, I will say this, that the Seahawks will meet with literally every player in this draft class because every team is going to this year. There's no official 30 visits. You can spend as much time as you want with every player um, I was interviewing Peyton Turner a few days ago and he said, I'm actually meeting the Seahawks later. I think it was that day. So it was, you know, you, you, you will meet everybody. So I, I wouldn't read too much into it. On, on to- Togi and, and, and uh, Stills. So um, I've done an interview with Stills and it was one of the best interviews I've, uh, most enjoyable interviews I've ever done. So he was just such an engaging guy. I, I could have kept him on for an hour um, just because I was enjoying it so much. And I just thought that his attitude, his approach, his honesty was amazing. He's a really good player. He's undersized. He hopes that he's going to be Geno Atkins. You know, Geno Atkins is a bit of a, a unicorn, isn't he? But um, so I, I, whether he actually achieves that or not, we'll, we'll see. But um, as an interior rusher, nickel rusher inside, he, he had something like 22 and a half tackles for a loss in 20 football games for West Virginia and 10 and a half sacks. So he can get after it. He can get after the pass uh, after the uh, passer. Really good player. Togi I was the complete opposite. He actually, I arranged the interview with Togi I, and then he he messaged me like an hour before it started, saying we're still on for four, aren't we? And I was like, yes, yes. And then um, and then four came and went, and he wasn't there. And you know, an hour later, I said, look, look if you want to rearrange, that's fine. Let me know. And he said, yes, yes, let's rearrange. Let's come up with a different time. Went, okay, just let me know another time and a day. When I never heard from him again. So um, I hope that he's. I hope that he's more organized with the teams than he was with uh, with our interview. But he's a very powerful guy, very athletic. Um, I don't think he has the length maybe that the Seahawks look for. But um, if you want somebody who can tie down one technique, three technique, move across that line, um, he's, he's definitely in that. And great attitude, great, great work rate of motor. Sprints to the sideline after the ball carrier on like a sweep and stuff like that. You just don't see many defensive tackles do that. Yeah, and also that story, Rob, was me and Adam about a week ago for <laughs> waiting for a draft guy to jump on, and you never did. Um, so, right, Jackson, we have a thing on this podcast called Get in the Bin, which is uh, usually just something or someone where we just don't like what they've done for the past week or uh, longer-term people. Skip Bayless, Colin Cowherd are in there. Hugh Jackson was almost the inception of this bit. Uh, so, uh, Adam, John, kick things off with this week's GITB. 
Yeah, well, apart from half of my hair, which on April the 12th we'll be getting in the bin, and I cannot <laughs> wait for that because it's been four months since my last trim, and I'm, it's, I'm really just, doing just me. Just glad you've got some, yeah? Yeah, yeah well, exactly. I, did, I, I, yeah, I didn't want to mug you off too much there, in fairness, Rob, but uh, you, you can have it. Honestly, you can have at least half of it if you want. Um, yeah, without kind of taking the tone of it all a bit more serious, Myers Leonard yesterday, um, the NBA player who used uh, just the most awful term you could think of for uh, Jewish people of which I am. Uh, and it's, it's a word that is kind of so bad that I didn't even, I've not even heard it used for a couple of years. And so it kind of uh, found it quite shocking, but forget that because, well, not forget it, but you know, that kind of prejudice and discrimination can happen against any minority and it has done regularly. And I think that the thing that I want to get in the bin is that the apology happened and it was complete, rubbish of you know oh i you know didn't know what it meant and you know ignorance and i think it's about time that these uh sports stars get held a little bit more accountable uh with these uh half-assed apologies and, and are made to own it a little bit more because you know we've seen it with athletes using the n-word and other horrific slurs and well you know i'm so sorry i didn't mean to offend anyone and um yeah i, th- I think it's about time that the, these athletes get held a little bit more to account for uh the, the words that they use because they can be incredibly hurtful. And, uh, you know, we've had a, a really fun hour and 20 minutes so far and it's been a good laugh, but I didn't, I didn't feel like I could let the opportunity pass without, uh, you know, saying something because it was particularly hurtful to me. Cause you know, on this occasion, it was my minority that got abused, but I'm not uh, naive enough to, to realize that it's not happening to every other minority almost every day under the sun. So, uh, yeah, a bit, a bit of a, a tricky one for me yesterday, I have to say. Yeah, so I, I press play expecting the other one to come mm-hmm. out. When the other one come out, it, it, like you said, like it's it was quite startling. And the apology is just an absolute abomination of, I know, a tweet. It's just incredible. I think someone tweeted, uh, you need to fire your PR team because that's just not on. Uh, Rob? In. Well, I'll, I'll I'll go for Jerry Jones just because I, I just find it incredible. Always, always a safe way to go when it comes to the bin. You, you can always normally yeah. find something. <laughs> I don't. I don't really understand how he's managed to work himself into this into this position. So I've instead fastly refused to sort of pay Dak Prescott. You know, whatever Dak Prescott was asking for, he's then off the back of a broken leg, seemingly paid him like ten million more. So like, I don't know, you know what kind of a bargaining um, is is that from Jerry Jones? And um, but the Cowboys are always good for a laugh. So um, they've they've basically ensured that they they've. Um, that they're going to have some real cap issues coming forward. I was listening to something today that Zeke Elliott might get cut now, which was, you know, someone that they signed was like a year ago or two years ago. And Amari Cooper's going to have to go next year now. Um, and um, if they'd have just had a bit more foresight and, you know, after three years of Dak Prescott decided we've, we've really got something here, let's get ahead of the market and pay him and reward him for, for overachieving as a fourth round pick and really making him feel wanted really sort of show an investment and, 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 and commitment to him. Um, not only would that have been the, probably the right thing to do, it probably would have saved them millions and millions and millions of dollars as well. Yeah. Uh, also, had, it also had to be Jerry Jones who had the first in-person press conference in like 15 months as well, didn't it, today? It just had <laughs> to be Jerry Jones. Obviously, it's socially distanced. I don't think I really have anyone um, this week to throw in the bin. Jerry Jones is always good. Colin Coward's actually been quite a good resource last couple of weeks, which is a tough style, as I said earlier. Uh, Jackson, anyone that you want to get rid of for the week? You know, I'm going to piggyback on on Adam. I think that, you know, we have, as a, as a society, 
become not not become we have always been um too tolerant of these quote-unquote missteps uh they are not harmless uh the fact that these slurs are uh, a, a part of juvenile conversation is a referendum on our society and frankly i mean <laughs> not to go too broad scope here but it is incumbent upon us as white people, especially white males. The deck is stacked in our favor in, in society. And we need to be aware of the fact that we don't just get to say what, whatever we want. If, if, it, if, if it's bad, we, we have to be aware of the impact of our words. And I am not threatened. You know, I've, I've been watching the American political drama for you know a number of years but most specifically the last five years you know we had a president that gave a lot of permission to a lot of people to just go out on main street and say things that are completely reprehensible and when you have people in position of power who are saying things that are really damaging to more vulnerable populations uh it, it gives implicit permission to continue that and and i do think that it is incumbent upon me and incumbent upon all of us um, who who demographically have an advantage um, to be aware that, like, look, we we are not threatened. Whoever gets elected president of the United States doesn't threaten my position in life. I I am completely insulated from that, and we need to be aware. It, it's on us to be better and to be aware that, like, you know what it's not a loss of freedom of speech to not just say whatever comes across your mind in that moment. It's not just a, a heat of the moment video game thing. I mean, to speak to the Myers Leonard uh, situation specifically, that dude hit pause on his verbal stream and searched his internal Rolodex of slurs before putting that, that was not I, like there, there was a pause there and he chose the word that he went with. And and there, there has to be a zero tolerance for that. And if it costs a guy millions of dollars, well, you know what? You're in a position to make millions of dollars with responsibility. And and kids look up to you and people look up to you. And if it's cool for you to say that word because you're just playing video games with your boys, well, you're given implicit permission, next generation, to do that too. So um, I, I would say just just all of the the privilege that we have that can all go right in the bin yeah that's strong right. that's, that's, a, that's, that's a strong a, that's a strong first bin yeah that's that's, that's eloquently put uh, as one can expect uh i mean try and end on a light bring the turn up a little bit jackson how many times <laughs> right this is going to mean nothing to adam and rob how many times do you listen to silk sonic oh my god Oh my God, I I have been wearing that shit. <laughs> that is like, all right, leave the door open. Man, here's the here's the thing. Here's the thing. As as far as like mainstream music goes, to me, you don't get better than Anderson Pac and and Bruno Mars. And so when I heard they were doing an album together, I was like, oh, this is this is like perfect. I mean, short of throwing John Legend in there, this is like the perfect pairing for me. And so I had these unreasonably high expectations for that first single and, and it surpassed them. It gets better with every listen. 
I mean, it's this old school Isley Brothers, Shy Lights type of vibe, but with with some modern edge to it. Man, if if the rest of the album is anything like Leave the Door Open, it it might go down as as most listened to album I've I've ever had, and you know. Uh, access to so yeah, yeah a lot is the answer to that question yeah same 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 i, I do play this for uh music for my local's football team and it's on the next two playlists for the next for the next couple of home games so no one's in the I stadium no one gives a, a flying but it's, it's on there so i can listen to it for 20 and a half minutes i love it man also jackson uh, i introduced you with it cigar thoughts how much fun is that to get your uh, soapbox every Sunday night, Monday morning to write about this uh, interesting team that we all follow. You know, um, I, I've been doing this for a number of years now and I, I remain stunned uh, with the feedback on that article. The fact that you guys halfway around the world know about it, care about it is, uh, is amazing to me. It's given me some really cool opportunities um, within more mainstream media. You know, Cigar Thoughts is, it's probably the truest expression of who I am in my life, which is kind of a crazy thing to say, but left to my own devices, no responsibilities to anybody else. I'm drinking whiskey, I'm smoking cigars, and I'm thinking about the Seahawks. And once a week, I get a chance to do that for an audience much larger than I ever dreamed of. And um, yeah, it, it just, all we want in life, I think most people, all we want is the ability to be ourselves and to let our guard down and just say, this is who I am. This is who I like. This is how I express that. And Cigar Thoughts gives me an opportunity to do that every week during the season. Um, and, and it's cool. It still blows me away that anybody reads that drivel. But the fact that it uh, resonates with people is, is a very, very cool thing and one of the great blessings in my life. Yeah, it's it's it, honestly it's one of my go-to's when I wake up on a Monday morning. And it's, 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 it's <laughs> six, seven that, minutes. Yeah. Um, talking to people, we can't believe uh, take people up I'm gonna, because certain people, certain fellow Spurs fans, were you, Adam, who do this, have wanted me to have moaned about me not doing it. So I'm going to mention all the people who pledged their hard-earned. Uh, Sterling money to support this podcast. Brogan Clasper, Daniel Cohen, Nicholas Wright. Yeah, you're getting full name treatment. Nick, Gerard Sherry, Harry Craig, Will Travers, and Dave Sayers. A massive, massive shout out to all of you for splurging uh, a little bit of coin on supporting this podcast. Rob, where can people catch all your writings, which I'm sure is going to go into overdrive if Justine Randerson ever follows up that tweet? Yeah, uh, yeah, good old Jacina. Um, just a surprise, actually, that she didn't put that someone had texted to say, "Well, that's the that's usually how her uh, that's usually how her tweets begin." Um, yeah, so Seahawks draft blog um, for uh, for for all of the, all of that stuff. You know, there'll be a load of free agency stuff there, draft stuff. There's already a load of stuff there. If you've not visited it yet and you just want to, you know, if you're a bit bored and you want to just run through a load of draft stuff, just go through the last sort of two months of it. There's loads of stuff on there. And uh, a lot more on YouTube, on the YouTube channel, just Rob State and the channel. Um, check that out as well. And, and, and at Rob State and on Twitter because uh, a lot of stuff going on, lots to talk about. Yeah, so massively appreciate you both jumping on. Uh, Jackson, where can people catch you on the old socials? Yeah, so uh, Twitter's my main hang. Uh, you can catch me at Jackson Bevins. The key here is there is no K in my name. It's J-C-S-O-N. No K is okay. And uh, <laughs> uh, you can find me there. 
And uh, yeah, it'll be <laughs> follow me. And uh, three tweets later, you might unfollow me, but uh, give it a shot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, it is, it is worth saying quickly, you know, we started a stupid podcast five years ago and, uh, you know, to uh, to get guys like you, both of you that want to come on and join us. I mean, I, I've been a fan of the team for pushing 10 years or whatever. And without embarrassing the pair of you, I think, you know, without question, the two of your fan writing has something that's enhanced my knowledge exponentially beyond what I could have even begun to to, to work on myself. So uh, there's a lot of people that owe the pair of you a huge grit of debt of gratitude for your hard work on, uh, on, on the stuff you do for our stupid team. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. And, thank and you. you know, I would be, I would be remiss without volume that back over the net. I, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to do lots and lots and lots of these types of segments and, and interviews. And, and I can honestly say I was sitting there, you know, it's so funny. I was sitting out there, the hail was coming down on me <laughs> and I was like, legitimately freezing all of a sudden and i was so happy because i'm sitting back listening to the three of you guys and learning you know and and internally adjusting my opinions on things which is hard to do because i think my opinion's the best opinion almost <laughs> all of the time and and to listen to you guys and the level of discourse and all of that that you guys provide is is really good you guys have a great thing going here and uh, it really is an honor to have been a small part of it for a little bit. Awesome. We massively, massively do appreciate you jumping on. Uh, this has been the Ped Pod. Next week, we will be back, and we're going to be back with this fella. One thing to say, Please do. Okay. My man that said that we were appetizers, right, uh, he told me to Google him, and I did that. Uh, I saw that he was a Hall of Famer, which, like I said, I respect what he did on the football field, but also saw two, uh, two conference championships appearances, none of which he won. Uh, um, and I didn't see any Super Bowl appearances. Um, so yeah, all that stuff came to me in Google. And I would love for him to come to me, and, and, and I'd love to show him the Super Bowl. Like I said, I can't say any names. Um, I would love to show him the Super Bowl ring. And if, if he doesn't want to come and see it personally, tell him he can Google it. Running through the six with my walls. Count. On that ankle runs away, throws. Diving! Did he make the catch? Oh my goodness. Pray the fakes get exposed. I want that. Third down and ten. Four man rush. Pressure put on. And a one handed grab by Doug Baldwin. Sensational catch. That was awesome. It's not just football players. Like, these are great human beings. These are great men. And when you put that combination of great men together with the right mentality of resilience and perseverance um, and actually caring for one another, you know, we, there's, there's a chemistry and a rapport that's... Um, it reminds me a lot of, of something. Um, I'll let you figure that out. But uh, this is a beautiful thing to see men come together and care about each other and, and really you know, play for each other. And uh, it's just, it's, you can't put it in words. You really can't. Across the middle, and it's caught for the first. It's Baldwin shaking free and sprinting down the sideline for the touchdown. It's third of the day. Doug Baldwin. So let's say I'm trying to go outside. So I'll come off, and I'll, I'll kind of lean to the inside, so that way you kind of open your hips that way. And when I cross over, it's just literally like I have the ball in my hand. I'm crossing back over this way. 
All it is is body language and mannerisms, right? Yeah. So I'm reading you. And essentially, it's again, it's just that chess match that yeah. you're playing with somebody. I don't know. That's just what pedestrian, average, mediocre receivers do. What's up? What's up? My man, Deion Sanders, we all right, huh? We all right? Yeah, we all right. We're going to go to the Super Bowl again, being all right.